Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post. Next up, we have Emmy-winning producer and Academy Award-winning writer, Trayvon Free. We're going to talk to him about writing for The Daily Show and the importance of standing firmly in your identity. Let's go. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. Download the podcast. Make sure you're checking out the New York Post column that I do each Thursday. Who do you want to see on the show? What are your favorite episodes? We become top tier because of you. I appreciate the love. I appreciate the support for making this one of the top shows of entertainment and climbing. This week's theme is flip the script. It's all about challenging the narrative. You write your story. What people are going to read when it's all said and done. First off, make sure you have more done than said. I knew very early that I wanted my legacy to be more than just basketball, more than a jock. So I took the necessary steps and pursued every interest I had with the same dedication that I gave to the game. And like Hove and Soft Money once said, I'm what the game made me, not what the fame made me. So I wanted to give back. I opened Jalen Rose Leadership Academy in 2011. Tuition-free, public charter high school. We get zero state funding for our facilities. I also wanted to use my voice in a different way. So I became a sports analyst, an entertainment analyst, a podcast host. I write a column. I do multiple television shows. I wanted to be a renaissance man. So I made sure I became one. And to be honest, there are still a ton of things that I have left that I want to master. There are still unfinished chapters in my book that I want to write. And I'm a best-selling author, but it's 100% up to me how this story goes. Make sure that every day, You're crafting your own happy ending. My next guest knows all about that. Trayvon Free is an Emmy Award-winning producer and Academy Award-winning writer. Check this out. He wrote his Oscar-winning movie, Two Distant Strangers, starring Joey Badass in five days. I repeat, he wrote Two Distant Strangers in five days going to talk to him about writing for the daily show and the importance of standing firmly in your identity next up trayvon free hi i'm jalen rose and welcome to the renaissance man podcast proudly presented by the new york post a show each week, you know the deal, 
where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. My next guest needs an introduction because he might be the most accomplished person and most slept on person we've had on the show so far. Trayvon Freak is a two-time Emmy Award winner for his work on The Daily Show, a Peabody Award-winning TV writer. And he most recently won an Academy Award for a short film, Two Distant Strangers. Please welcome to the Renaissance Man, Trayvon Free. Jalen, man, thanks for having me, brother. I really, really appreciate it. It's such an honor to be here with you, man. I appreciate the love. You were raised in Compton. You played basketball. Yeah. And even hooped in college. Yeah. How far did you think you would go playing ball? And how did you eventually pivot into TV writing? Man, yeah, I mean, look, I went, I went to Dominguez High. You know, I was teammates with Tyson Chandler and all these guys who went on to become like NBA stars. And I was like AAU ball with all the dudes who like I've seen so many of my te- former teammates win NBA championships. And, you know, I was I had the same dreams and aspirations. And I got to college, played D1 ball. Long Beach State and we uh we made it to the tournament in my sophomore year I had knee surgery um after I had just tied our school record for rebounds in a game like second I think it was like second place I tied for or whatever and we uh you know I was I was hoping for 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 that type of life and you know once I had knee surgery and I realized you know that was the end of the road in terms of like that particular dream it was when I made that hard pivot to to writing and, and learning the craft of screenwriting. Cause I, I had loved writing my whole life and I had always done it. And so my, my academic advisor was like, you know, I I know you wanted to be a film major when you got here and you couldn't because of your basketball scholarship. So maybe now that you have like a year off to rehab, you can just take some time and take some of these classes. And it changed my life. It was the thing that like showed me what the next path or what I wanted the next path to look like. And, you know, once I, I started doing stand-up comedy my senior year in college, and uh, I graduated and I, I did stand-up as, uh, and used it as a way to meet other great comedy people and writers and met a, made a lot of friends. And, and, and that ended up helping me get to, you know, The Daily Show. And then after I got to The Daily Show, it was just like a skyrocket, man. It just took off. So as you were falling in love with writing, and by the way, shout to Tyson Chandler. I played with him with the Bulls. That's yeah. my little brother right there. And you're right. He did go on to win a championship with Dallas, have a long career, and kill it. As you were falling in love with writing, who are some of your inspirations, people that you were fans and or students of? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was like, I wanted to learn anywhere I could, but I was like looking at the movies that, that I like, that I loved. It was like Spike, people like Spike, people like um, Nora Ephron and Richard Curtis, who were like, I just love their movies. It was, it was people like, uh, uh, God, just so many writers and, and directors that like names that I'm just, like Kurosawa movies are some of like the most amazing movies you can you can watch and study from a film craft standpoint or, or Wong Kor Wai um, movies you can like just the, the visual 
language that they teach you, uh, which you know informed me kind of becoming a director uh, late, like a little later in my in my writing career. Um, it was it was looking at uh, John Singleton movies, man. Like John Singleton was a huge one. Like he he Boys in the Hood and and classic Snowfall and like the stuff that he he did and was doing was so inspirational. Uh, Tarantino was a big one. Like why it's why part of the reason why I love action movies so much and the way he he melds action with great storytelling and and um, just. I was just like, at that point in time, I was so young. So I was still able to consume so much, spend so much time in the consumption phase of learning why great people were great at what they did or why people were considered great at what they did. And, and you know, what was unfortunate was, you know, in the 90s and early 2000s, there wasn't like a wide variety of black filmmakers to even no. pick from. Like, still isn't, no. Yeah. Like we had like Spike and John were like two of that the was it. John had gotten nominated for for Boys in the Hood, like, and he was the first black director ever like to be nominated. And um, so it wasn't you really leaned on like the Spielbergs and the people who the the Scorsese's and the people whose movies were heralded and held up that we watched, that we loved, you know, and not for any particular reason other than like they were just good movies. Mm-hmm. And and so that was where you took your lessons from, and and so I I just took that into, you know, post post college to start shaping how or finding what my voice was, like finding what I liked about their work, but what I, what part of me, like what I connected to, and what part of me what I what I do differently, what would I add to that? How do I want to tell the story? And so over time, you just kind of find your own your own self within. Uh, like you probably know, like when you when you when you're young and you hooping, like we both probably had this experience. You start out emulating somebody, like mm-hmm. who do I like magic for me? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And then over time, you find Jalen. Like, Damn, I ain't magic. Yeah, like you like we all, we all learn we're not them. Like I ain't Mike, I ain't magic. But like in doing that, you find Jalen, right? Like. Right. And then, and that's how we kind of, it, it works the same way to me, like, in, whether in, whether it's writing, whether it's stand-up, it's like, we all start out, like, admiring somebody and trying to figure out, you know, how to do what they did until we, you know, start to sound like ourselves. And so that was kind of what I was going through. You're extremely talented and you have a lot of range. And I want to make sure that I acknowledge that because you also talked about doing stand-up comedy. And one of the things I do in multimedia, I enjoy writing. I write a column for this show that I'm going to also send you a framed copy of as a small token of my appreciation of joining the show, but also broadening our our horizons to entertain the audience. And I always thought that stand-up comedy is slept on because (laughs) the hardest thing to do is stand in a room full of strangers and make them laugh. Yeah. Please talk to me how doing stand-up has affected your trajectory. So, like, I mean, the first time I ever did it in college, it was terrifying. And the first, the first thing I said got a big laugh. And it immediately like suppressed that anxiety. Cause you felt like the thing you were most afraid of, which was not getting a laugh, you did it. And you're like, okay, 
now I just got to remember all the stuff that I wanted to say <laughs> in the order that I wanted to say it in order for this to work. And so over time, like, you know, I, I, I don't do it nearly as much as I used to because my life has changed so much as far as TV and film is concerned. Uh, but it's still a thing that I love and, and still dip in and out of. But the, the thing that you, you learn when you start to do stand-up is when you finally, when you do have that bad set or those bad sets, those sets where, you know, you don't get very many laughs or you don't get in here at all. And you're just like, oh man, that was, that was really rough. I stood up there and nothing worked. Mm -hmm. And you go do a show after that show, maybe the same night and you kill. Now you've learned the dynamic is not so much that, oh, I'm just a generally not funny person, a good person. It's you have to, you have to learn the skill of mastering different crowds. You have to learn how to talk to different people and talk to different audiences. Right. And you also have to learn to be okay with that not going the way you want it to go. And so what it is, it's an exercise in ego management and ego suppression because right. your ego is the reason you're up there. Like, I bet I can make all of you laugh for 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And it turns out I was only able to do it for three <laughs> tonight. But you know what? There, last night I did it for the whole 15 and it felt amazing. And so you you end up learning to not take yourself so seriously, but you also develop a comfort in talking to any group of people anywhere because you you the step that emotion, that fear that people have of public speaking is what they think is at stake with what they might say or might not say. And when you realize or when you learn to be comfortable in that exchange and the comfort and the not knowing how it's going to go, it becomes easy to talk to anybody. And that was like a huge, especially when you're pitching in Hollywood, like if you're in the, you become part of the world where you're pitching ideas, pitching TV shows, pitching movies, trying to convince people right. to give you a lot of money for a thing. You have to be able to like bring it. You got to be Just able to land in the room. Yeah, exactly. You got to learn how to like how to be the kind of person people are like, Oh yeah, I like this person. I want to I, I want to be in business with you. And it's a it's a great skill that translates into so many aspects of business and, and entertainment. So you broke into a field that very few of us have been able to, and that's writing for a late night TV show. Yeah. Can you walk us through how you got hired to write for the Daily Show and the impact that it's had on your life? Yeah, I mean, the Daily when I got when I got to the Daily Show, I was uh, Wyatt Cenac was still there, and we were the only two black writers on the show. He left a few months after I got there, and I was then became the only black writer on the show. But to get there, that's just just to speak to like your how rare and how difficult you know it is for us in late night. There's a handful more of us now, but back in 2012, there was not, <laughs> um, and so I I was doing stand up at the Improv, and I met this guy, uh, Rob Kuttner, who I known just from social media, but he was also doing stand-up and he wrote for the daily show for maybe 10 years. And, uh, I saw someone was leaving the show. It was my, it was my favorite show at the time. I watched it every single night mm -hmm. for, for years. And, and I asked him like, Hey, like, you know, what's the process like to submit for daily show? You know, I was 26 at the time and never in a million years thought I would get the daily show like at that age. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he was just like, you know, I have the head writer email you. And I was like, well, that's never going to happen. But, you know, thanks for uh, <laughs> thanks for responding. And then like a week later, Tim Carvel emailed me, the head writer of The Daily Show at the time, who's now 
head writer of uh, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. And um, he asked me to submit for the show. And I was just like terrified because I wasn't expecting it to happen like that or that fast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in my mind, that opportunity to write for your favorite show, which also happens to be the most popular show in late night at the time, you think that there's people beating down the door to get in there, which there were. And I didn't have an agent or any representation. I was just chilling in Inglewood in my apartment trying to like get a job. Right. And I, I did the submission and I initially, you know, came in second place to the girl who got the job, who got hired, but it was like a really close second, like so close that they didn't want to not hire me. Mm-hmm. And so they ended up hiring me anyway. <laughs> and getting, getting that job was such a big deal because not only do people like where I come from, like just, that's just a space we don't inhabit. And oh. It was it was an interesting time because Jessica Williams, who had just gotten there and we both were Long Beach State alumni. Like mm-hmm. so you got two black kids from Long Beach State who grew up in, in the inner city of, of, of L.A. and are somehow both at the same time on this very prestigious political comedy show on, on Comedy Central. And it just felt special, man. It was like I didn't know, you know, what it took me a while to adjust the fact that it was happening that it happened. Mm-hmm. And then you see all the doors it opens. Like you can get a meeting with anybody. You get invited to everyone's party. You get invited to everything in New York because John Stewart is like the biggest thing happening in New York outside of Saturday night live. Nope. And he's the guy everybody wants at their party. He's the guy everybody wants to talk to. And so by nature, by proximity, you get those same kind of especially when people find out you're a writer on the show they're like oh shit so you're like you're like in it like you're doing it right and it just kind of sent me on this path to like get to where I am now where like people trust your ability and trust that you can get a job done and I just spent that from 2012 to 20 basically 18 when I moved out of late night into scripted tv like just kind of upping my credits and like in like move up, moving up that ladder creatively. You're going to appreciate this because I thought long about it. The theme of this show is flip the script. <laughs> You're an Academy Award winner, the biggest honor in the field industry, yeah. right? And you won it for a short film that you wrote called Two Distant Strangers. Yeah. The movie's about a young man trying to get home to his dog if you haven't seen it. And it's a classic, by the way. He's stuck in a time loop where he has to relive his death at the hands of a cop. It's always remarkable to me, just for me, when you see your accomplishments, like winning an Academy Award and knowing that it was once just an idea that someone had. Yeah. Where did you come up with the concept of two distant strangers? And what's the best advice you have for someone with an idea of a film? Yeah, I mean, like the the thing you pointed out is what makes it so surreal, which is, you know, last summer, the the winning an Oscar couldn't have been further from my mind last summer. Like it was a pandemic. George Floyd had been killed. Breonna Taylor had been killed. A lot of Aubrey had been killed. And we were in the streets, man, like every day. Yes. Last summer, just out there marching and we didn't have nothing else to do but be out there and, and, and raising our voices. And, you know, in doing that, 
one day this idea kind of just like crystallized in my mind of like, you know, seeing all those names and seeing, you know, every day at the end of the day on the news, watching the marches from around the world and, and feeling like every time a new name came up, you were reliving that same cycle of, of emotional feelings of, of, of sadness and pain and hopelessness and then eventually getting back to hopeful that got you back out there in the streets the next day. Mm. And, and, you know, I remember saying to Zaria, you know, who's in the movie, he's also my partner, like, you know, it feels like living the worst version of Groundhog's Day, like where mm. you just, every day you wake up and you go through that cycle all over again. And that just stuck in my mind, and, you know, we had nothing but time at the moment. And I wasn't really doing anything creatively at the time because, you know, the show had just finished, it actually finished right before the pandemic started. So I was kind of free like to do, you know, whatever I want. So I was like, I'm just gonna take this idea and kind of just see, you know, what comes of it. And so I, I told Martin Desmond Rowe, my co-director, you know, who we, we were working on a different movie together at the time, actually. We had just started writing the script and, we stopped when George Floyd happened to just kind of like take a beat. And um, I told him the idea and, you know, he had been nominated for an Oscar for his short a couple years before. And he was like, I hear a lot of short ideas and a lot of them are, most of them are pretty bad. And this one is amazing. And so I just went off and wrote it and I wrote it in like five days and with no stakes, just like, it's a, I don't have nothing to do, so I'm just gonna do this thing. It's a 30 page script. I, in TV, you get when you get assigned a script, if you're working on a TV show, you have a week to write your 30 page script. I already know how to do that. I've been trained to do that. I could do it in my sleep. And so I went and wrote this short in a week that was 30 pages. And then I started sending it to people and everybody was having the same reaction of like, this is, this is amazing. Like this is, this is really like, this is really good. Like this could really be something special. And that started to grow and snowball into people wanting to be involved. And then people wanting to give us money to make it. And we didn't even know if it was possible to make it because at the time you couldn't shoot you weren't allowed to film anything anywhere. Right, and cool. so we just started acting as if there was going to come a time in the summer where that was going to be possible. And we raised enough money to get us to shoot. And then I went after Joey well, Joey was actually like suggested to me by a friend, James Samuel, uh, whose movie The Heart of They Fall comes out on Netflix this fall, which is, the, I don't know if you've seen the trailer for the Idris Elba, Regina King, all black Western movie, but that's- Absolutely, I'm going to check that out. Yeah. Shout to them. I've yeah. been accused of only loving black movies, but that's another subject for another day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, James James is amazing. And he, he, uh, he had auditioned Joey for Heart of They Fall, but he couldn't do it because of scheduling. So he was like, you need Joey for this movie. Like Joey would kill this. And so he connected me with Joey and Joey said, yeah. And that was the beginning of like, oh, we're actually gonna make this movie. Like this is gonna be a real thing. And we go through the process and like, you, you just don't know, man. Like you don't know what's gonna happen, but we felt like something special was happening the whole time. It never, it never didn't feel like something special was happening. And when we started to show people early cuts of it, that was being reflected back to us. And then we started to feel like, okay, like we, we did something at the very least, we're gonna walk away from this with having made a movie that was special to, to people and that people like uh, enjoyed and understood and felt like it was, uh, you know, it spoke to the moment we were living in. And then like once the Oscar stuff came around and we got shortlisted, 
we were just like, oh man, like this might, this is like, okay, like we got shortlisted. This is crazy. Cause we made this movie in, in three and a half months last summer. And now here we are shortlisted for an Oscar. And then email the Oscar nominated. <laughs> right. And we, you know, a month and a half goes by and the nominations come out and you hear your name called and you're like, oh my God, like, this is this like really happening? This is really happening. And then that longest period of your life is, is that, that month between uh, nominations and, and, uh, and the actual show. And you're just like, at that point you want it. Like even up to that point, you're grateful. But when you get nominated and you're one of five, you have a 20% chance of winning. You're like, of course you want it. And Absolutely. so when you get there and you're in that moment and you're, you're, you're hearing the, the names be called off on the not from the nominees. And there's that half a second of silence between naming the winner that you feel like you both a winner and a loser at the same time. <laughs> and, and you hear your name and it is un is no way to describe it. There's really no way to describe it because so much in that moment has happened because your life and your career has just changed mm-hmm. in the blink of an eye. And you also still have to go give a speech mm-hmm. and then you have to go do a bunch of interviews about it. Mm-hmm. And you just don't have time to really sit in the moment of what just happened because it's a whirlwind after it happens. But because of how that movie happened, because we didn't set out Two Distant Strangers wasn't a two year plan to make a movie to like, to go attempt to put in a festival, to go attempt to win a war. Like, it was like, hey, I thought of this thing yesterday. Um, I'm gonna go write it and let's just see what happens. And then it resulted in like, like to me, I, I wouldn't have wanted it any other way. Like that to me was the best way because the intention was just to do something authentic. You know, the, the short film industry is so, it's it's there's so many shorts being made all the time because they're used as a way to say you know this is what i'm capable of here's what i'm it's a calling card it's your business card as a as a filmmaker trying to make it and like a mixtape exactly exactly and within that will emerge some incredible filmmaking and some incredible filmmakers but on average people are just learning and it's like it's rare that somebody can make a short for the first or second time and it like captivate, you know, the the industry. But the goal is to just keep going and to keep doing it and to work your way into someone giving you a feature, which is like usually short filmmakers desires to be directors and, you know, make movies. And so I think if you just are looking for, don't, don't look for what you think people wanna see. Mm-hmm. That's the mistake. Mm-hmm. Don't look at like, oh, this is what people are making, or this is the short, these are the shorts that got nominated for an Oscar last year or the year before that. And this is the kind of thing that people want to like vote. Like, because all you have to do is make something that feels a little scary, which we were terrified throughout this process, because it's it's a delicate, it's a delicate subject matter, and you don't know how people are going to respond to it. And you have to make something that feels risky and feels scary, but feels authentic. That, you know, if you do, maybe you don't stick the landing entirely and you maybe your feet wobble a little bit when you hit the floor, you still believe in what you, the story you told and you stand by the story you told. 
because the worst thing you could do is make something that you attempt to make something that people you think people want to see it ends up poor it ends poorly and then you have to you know waver from that or stand or have to stand by something that's just not something you believe in and so i think with shorts that's a big part of it well your accomplishments your productivity and your voice has truly been inspiring and particularly in interviews and on social media you've been very open about your sexuality you came out as bisexual and there are a lot of people who don't believe <laughs> that bisexual men exist yeah. They feel like you're either gay or not. Right. How has coming out affected you and your career? And do you believe you've helped others by standing in your truth? You know, I, I think I, I, I came out when I was 25. And <clears throat> it was at a time where, like, gay marriage wasn't even legal in America at the time. And there were, we, were, we were nowhere near like where we are now, like when I see where we are now and I look at how it still has its challenges, but the, the level of, of outward support from, from community to, to corporate be like you drive around now and during pride and, and rainbows are everywhere on every office, every company store, like there, it's such a thing now. When I, when I was like going through that, there was, it was not at all. Like it was very much the opposite. And so I was, you know, I knew I was taking a level of risk in, in doing it, especially like, you know, being a college basketball player and all those things that go along with that. And it, it couldn't have been a better decision because the, the amount of messages that I get from people that I've gotten over the last 10 or 12 years from parents, from kids, from like, you name it. Like it was, it's things like, I didn't know until I saw your story. I didn't, I didn't believe that this thing was this until I heard you talk about it. I didn't understand it until I read your post about it. My kid just came out to me as bi and now I understand him in a way that I wouldn't have had I not been following you or your, like it's, and that happens from complete strangers to even people in the industry. Wow. who like people in the industry whose kids are not like their kids are not famous mm -hmm. and their kids are like coming out to them in various ways. And they're reaching out to me being like, you know, like knowing your story helped me be a better parent to my kid when this happened. Mm -hmm. And uh, like that to me is invaluable. Like to that, if, if that's all that ever happened from, from my just wanting to not stay not feel like I was still in that like closed off, like not being who I really was phase of my life. Then that's that, that I've done, I've done everything I, I wish I could because it's changing other people's lives. It's the, it's what we talk about with visibility. It's, it's, you have to be able to see it, to be it. And, and you have to have an example to, to help you get through when you think you're going through something hard and unique and, Granted, I didn't have any, and there's still not really any like today. Like there, there are a lot of people who are gay, lesbian, or trans. But when you talk about the bi community, be it Hollywood or at large, it is still very much not really there because of 
the stigma is because of the way uh, people think about it. Even within the, the LGBT community itself, it's still funny enough, you know, bi people are the largest sector of the community, the largest group within the community. But you would never know that because it's the most ignored by the organizations, by by like you you go to pride events and you look at how people uh, represent, and it is still like pretty much the most ignored group in in uh, you know in the community. And so it's part of that was a big part of the reason, which was like, well, I have the opportunity to be in all these places and do all these things. I can carry that with me and take that with me, and you know, being the first black Oscar winner for a live action short Oscar mm -hmm. is amazing. But then when you couple that with the fact that like, I also get to bring the black community with me and mm -hmm. telling that story and doing that thing and being on that journey, it makes it harder for the conversation to ignore you. It makes it harder for people to, to push it aside because, you know, I get to go tell the truth about that experience in all the spaces I inhabit. Before I let you get out of here, I have a rapid fire segment called Gone in 60 Seconds. You ready to do this? Let's do it. All right, cool. What's the most impressive script you've ever read? Oh man, uh, probably the Godfather script. Classic. Like, that's First thing a... that comes to mind when you hear the word sneakers app. Failed. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Failed. In capital letters. Yeah. <laughs> in capital letters, you cast Dope MC, Joey Badass, for your Oscar-winning film. Who's another rapper you think will be a great actor? Oh, man, I think Kendrick. I think Kendrick could be an incredible actor. I think he is already acting. Um, um, God, there's so many talented act or actors or rappers who I think can transition if they really wanted to. You rep Compton to the fullest. Oh yeah. 10 toes down, name five celebrities. Five celebrities. If you had to describe that represent Compton, who would they be? Oh, that's gonna be Ava DuVernay, mm -hmm. um, big time. Compton. Um, obviously, dope. Kendrick is like the biggest thing happening rap wise, mm -hmm. like anywhere. Um, who else we got? I'll throw I'll throw Tyson in there. Tyson is uh, killing him. He get fast on furious money on money on money. He just walked <laughs> to the mailbox. Uh, um, you know Kevin Costner is from Compton. I uh, did. I know that. Yeah, Kevin, Kevin Costner is from Compton. Uh, Serena, mm. Serena Williams. Uh, can't forget Serena. I mean, God, there's just so many more. Like, just I mean, the game the rapper venus uh, venus uh god like we can we got we got some we got some talented people coming out of compton man. richard sherman um, he is from compton like god like we tayshaun prince detroit uh, pistons champion baby lucky lefty i used to go watch <laughs> a ball in high school man like it's it's a lot of uh i uh easy e um, Legend, the hologram. When <laughs> I was like, "Yo, they got a hologram of Pac dinner easy." I'm like, "Where was that at? I need to be there next year." Had me try to go to Coachella. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I ain't supposed. To. <laughs> but I appreciate you joining the show, man. Thanks for the love. Continue success, and Thanks, I definitely man. 
appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Jalen. I appreciate you having me, brother. Yes, indeed. Last call. Last call. If you follow me closely, you know I live outside. I'm at every concert, every comedy show, every sporting event. I'm at education summits. I'm at board meetings. I'm giving the people what they want. It don't stop. But you know what else I'm going to be doing this time next year? For my Renaissance man supporters, I'm going to get suited and booted. And I'm going to go to the Met Gala. And you know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the Emmys. I wanted COVID to pass for another year or so. I would have went this year, but I'll be there next year. And you know who I want to shout out? A couple of people who were nominated at the Emmys. In particular, MJ Rodriguez. One of my favorite guests on this show was nominated. Came up short. As I mentioned, no person of color won an award. However, my surrogate mother, Debbie Allen, my first agent was her husband, Norm Nixon. Shout to Debbie Allen. Congratulations on your Lifetime Achievement Award. And you know what else? I'd like to thank Trayvon Free for being on the show. He spoke about knowing who you are and being proud of it and the need for representation in television and film. It's important for entertainment to be as diverse as the world actually is if the goal is honesty and truth. The Emmys just passed. And although there were a record number of people of color nominated, all of the acting awards went to white actors. I repeat, all of the acting awards went to white actors. All of them. That's in a strong message. Let me get this right. Only white actors were the best? I'm making these decisions. I need to see a lineup. Let's look at that one. But you know what else? Change gonna come if we speak it into power. And that's what I'm doing right now. Because diversity is not just a matter of being in front of the camera. It also matters behind the camera. It matters in rooms where executives are making decisions. And it matters on stages where there are opportunities to be celebrated. Winners get more opportunities. Winners get bigger salaries. And winners get to make decisions on who to hire and allow through the door on upcoming projects. Let the children see that black, brown, Asian, and indigenous actors can be winners too. I'm the Renaissance Man. See you next week.